Good morning. Good morning. Um, so this is the, our last class as well, um, and um, so while we're doing personal words, let me just say what a privilege and a pleasure it's been to be with you. Um, you know, I, I love coming here, as, as I was saying to, to Amy, I can assume a higher level of biblical knowledge than I can in some other places that I go. Um, I know when I get to the room there will be Bibles on the table. That's, uh, that's good to know. You know. It's not always true everywhere I go. <laughs> so, Bible study and do you forget the Bibles? I mean, what's that? <laughs> that doesn't happen at Westminster Presbyterian Church. So. Um, I'm I'm always glad to come here, and I've enjoyed teaching. It sounds like you've got a great theme for next year, and uh, I hope I can come back and be with you again. Um, we turn our attention now to the to the last big change story about change, um, and and this is the the from fear of Gentiles to welcoming Gentiles, and I think when you read Acts 10 to 15, we don't read all of that. Uh, we read Acts 10 to, to most of 11, and then. Um, we jumped over to 15, skipping fascinating stories in between, but they're about something else. So um, today, uh, you'll, one of the things I think you'll notice immediately is that um, the idea that something needs to change does not come to the whole church at the same time. Um, God sends an idea about change. The Holy Spirit sends an idea about change to one or two people at a time. And and so a great deal of patience is required, patiently explaining what happened. How could you do that? Um, well, it's because of this and this and this. So um, you'll see that pattern happening. And I, I think that's one of the most important things we learn from these stories is first that the Holy Spirit is behind all of this. There are other spirits. And so the community is in a process of discernment of whether the spirit they're hearing is the Holy Spirit or just the spirit of the age. Um, very different. So so the um, uh, there's, a, there's discernment involved. And then the other thing that you notice, that besides the fact that, the, that, one, that not everybody changes at the same time or at the same speed, and that the Holy Spirit is working all the different angles, bringing people together, um, is that the character of the person who speaks is important. In the ancient world, this was called ethos. Um, so that a, a trusted speaker, someone who is, is known by the community and trusted, is more likely to be able to affect change than somebody that they've, nobody's ever met before or heard from or, or has some kind of a dubious reputation. So change agents, people who are involved in listening, discerning the, the work of God in the world, listening for the voice of the Spirit, also need to be people of character. Um, this is clear when you think about it but we, we sometimes you know well I'll just say it personally I'm a child of the 60s um, we used to make a, a bold line between social change and personal ethics you, know, you would think that it didn't matter what you did individually as long as you were out there demonstrating <laughs> okay uh, uh, yeah I hear you're laughing you know that's not true it's not true um, but when you're young and foolish and immortal um, these things are, are they, these things look different uh, perhaps um, at any rate it, it matters the lifestyle a person has the the um, the kind of, of integ personal integrity a person has is key to their ability to persuade others that it's time for a community as a whole to change. So, those are those are the three things that I think um, would are, are takeaways from these stories. But but see um, 
see what you think. So we're in Acts 10, the very beginning of, of chapter 10. And um, I think what I'll do uh, again is to sort of take you through the story and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, in Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is, of course, a Gentile. You can tell just by his Roman name. He's a centurion of the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God uh, with all his household. Um, this means he is a um, um, not an idol worshiper. He fears sort of God in general. He, he hasn't um, he hasn't been introduced to Christianity. Um, particularly, he's uh, he's a he's a Gentile who fears God. He's a God fearer. Is it there's a technical term for someone who is um, a devout person, um, but he's he's a good person who he doesn't yet know Jesus Christ. Um, he was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly. One afternoon, about three o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. He saw an angel of God coming in and speaking to him, calling him by name. Cornelius, what is it, Lord? Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with another man called Simon, just to keep it confusing, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves, so he, he, he thinks about it for a few minutes, calls two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who serve him, and after telling them everything that had happened, he sends them off to Joppa. So he is obedient to the vision uh, that he sees. Around noon the next day, it takes them some time to get to Joppa, um, I don't remember where he is. Oh, Caesarea. Okay, yes, it would take a little bit of time to get to Joppa. Okay, so around noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, who is in Joppa, Simon Peter, um, went up on the roof to pray. He was hungry. He wanted something to eat. And while it was while lunch was being fixed, he's up on the roof. He fell into a trance, another vision. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. And in this sheet were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. And he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter, who keeps kosher, kashrut, dietary laws, looks at these animals and says, My God, no! What a horrible idea! By no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. Now, at this point, we could flip back to Leviticus and review the dietary laws so you would know about, you know, whether it chews the cud and has cloven hooves and things to, to we're not going to do that. So you're on your own if you're, if you're wanting to remember the dietary laws. I don't remember them well enough um, myself to be able to just rattle them off from Leviticus. So you're on your own here. What God has made, the voice said to him a second time, what God has made clean you must not call common or profane. Now, this happened not once, but three times. So Peter's up on the roof. Three times the sheet comes down from heaven. Three times the voice says, Get up, Peter. Rise, kill, and eat. Three times he protests. Three times the voice says, What God has made clean, you must not call common or profane. And then the thing was taken up to heaven. That's a vision that would get your attention, to be sure. 
Now while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. How many men? Three men. Right, okay. Um, They were asking for, for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. (coughs) So the penny drops. Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging, even though they were Gentiles. Invited them in, put them up. The next day, they all got up, and he went, got up and went with them, and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. Believers meaning believers in Jesus Christ, Christians. The following day, it takes a day from Joppa back to Caesarea, they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling at his feet, worshipped him. Bad idea. Um, We don't worship people, we worship God. So Peter immediately made him get up and say, Stand up, I'm only a mortal. So he's, uh, Cornelius is confused. He wants to do the right thing. He doesn't quite know what the right thing is. Um, they get off to what could have been a rough start. Uh, but Peter is, um, under, instead of saying, yeah, yeah, right, that's what those Gentiles always do. <laughs> I'm out of here. He didn't do that. He said, stand up, I'm only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Now, here we need to talk to Luke a little bit because that isn't quite right. Um, It's it's unlawful for for a Jew not to keep dietary laws and if Gentiles are serving food that is not according to the dietary laws, then then it's unlawful to eat that food. Um, now Paul would have said um, that sometimes you would you would if it's an act of hospitality. You, if you're if you're with someone and they don't know that they're breaking dietary laws um, or eating food in this case food off that's been offered to an idol, um, then in the interest of friendship and hospitality, you you do it. Um, and some of you may have found yourself in in that situation where you. Um, you know, like if you're on a diet, but your your friend invites you out for dinner and serves lots of starchy food, you don't say, "I can't eat anything on your table." I'm I'm on a diet. You don't do that. Um, it's just the same the same idea. A little more complicated when it's a religious injunction than when it's just a diet. Um, but but there's a there's an issue of hospitality, being a good host, being a good guest. And these, are very, these were just as important in the ancient world, maybe even more important than they are for us. Um, so it, the, the issue is more about 
if you if you're associating with Gentiles and staying under their roof, you're 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 likely to be persuaded to uh, say a little prayer to Zeus before lunch, um, or you know, or, or something which of course you couldn't do, uh, or ha- or eat food that you shouldn't eat. So it's not quite uh, unlawful to associate, but it's tricky, and you you be, you should be very very careful. But anyway, he goes on to say, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone, any person, profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, may I ask why you sent for me? He doesn't even know why they sent for him. Um, he's uh, offering to help in any way he can. Um, you know that I'm, you know, I'm Jewish, you're Gentile. Um, I would normally not be here. Uh, but God said, <laughs> so here I am, right? Cornelius replied, four days ago, at this very hour, at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. This is the same thing that we saw last week in the in the Saul to Paul story, where um, the, we are told first what happened, and then we're, then Cornelius tells us, so we're reminded again uh, what happened. It's still the same chapter. We can actually remember. So it's not. It's that's not why Luke tells. It's just that the very act of telling the story, uh, of telling your own story, builds trust and intimacy. It's an important part of discerning change. So Cornelius says, four days ago, at three o'clock, I was praying in my house. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Slightly different words. Is Luke worried about that? No. Send, therefore, he could have flipped back a few verses and checked it if he wanted to. So it doesn't matter the the exact words. It's the general idea that matters here. Um, send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter he's staying in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea pretty much what we had before therefore I sent for you immediately and you have been kind enough to come so now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say and others Cornelius says I don't know why you're here um, <laughs> I was told to, to send and, and get you um, I'm I'm open uh, to what you have to say and, and uh, Peter has just expressed, I, I'm open, what do you need from me? Um, then Peter began to speak. I truly understand, and this, is, this lesson is in the Revised Common Lectionary that we share. Um, this lesson from Acts is important in, in, at Easter and in the week after Easter. So if it sounds familiar, it's because you've, you've heard it not very long ago, about a month ago probably. Then Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him, but they are God-fearers, and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Um, Preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Um, This reminds me of the the habit in people who are... um, Muslim in Islam, when you refer to a great person, you say peace be upon him. To to a Muhammad, for example, um, or or to Jesus, when they're they're talking to Christians, um, to Jesus, peace be upon him. Um, so this is a, this is something like that. Um, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. This is that the first thing we say about Him, and then we'll start we'll say other things. But He is Lord of all would be uh, almost a slogan. Jesus Christ, he is, he is Lord of all, makes it clear where you stand. That message about Jesus Christ, 
spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John the baptizer announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So again, uh, this is an appeal to the scriptures, the prophets, and one more time, those of us who are Bible scholars would love to know what particular passages he has in mind, which prophets are testifying about Jesus that whoever believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Clearly, Simon Peter has been reading the scriptures in a way that the, that the early Christians did. They were trying to make sense of the puzzling events. Why had God, God allowed God's own Messiah to be crucified? Why? How could that happen? The same God, they believe, the same God that authored, in the most important sense, the scriptures, um, written by human hands, but authored in some way, the responsible, God is responsible in some way for, for what is said in them. It's the same God who, who arranged all the events, who, who rose, raised Jesus from the dead, um, and, uh, and so there should be coherence between what is said in the scriptures um, and the events that they've experienced about Jesus that have been so puzzling. So what do they do? They go back to the books. They go back to the Holy Scriptures and look and they find all kinds of things in the Scriptures that they say, this is about Jesus. We, didn't, we, we never knew how to read it until now. Now, now we know how to read it. Um, so this is what he's referring to. Um, we'd, we'd love to know exactly what he has in mind and, and Luke doesn't give it to him. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, that is the Jewish Christians who had come with Peter, were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Can you hear their prejudice? Yeah, had, had even on the Gentiles the gift of the Holy Spirit had been uh, poured out. How did they know? They heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Looks like the work of the Spirit. How is that possible? They're Gentiles! Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Notice not yet in the name of the Trinity. Remember the end of Matthew's Gospel, the Great Commission, where they're sent out to baptize, uh, uh, teach all nations uh, that what I have commanded you and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, but... Um, and I, you know, I, you know, I think that that Luke is written after Matthew, so it's interesting that um, that they is not everybody thinks that, and this would be a passage that would that would might be argued on the other side. But I think what's more likely is that when you read Acts, you see lots and lots of patterns about the relationship between baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit, and I think Luke is just comfortable with with recognizing that the Spirit operates in different ways, in different circumstances. 
Here, people receive the gift of the Holy Spirit first. It's evident um, that it's the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. They're they're praising God. Um, and um, and Peter says, um, how could how could we not uh, baptize them? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. So they had their catechetical instruction after the baptism um, instead of before the baptism, which is, um, which is fine. They, what, they know, what Peter and his friends knew was that very clearly God's favor had fallen on these people um, and that and they, should, they were meant to, be, to become Christians. Could you going to relate this to the sheet with the unclean animals in it? Well, yeah. Um, the the, gen, the the prejudice that Peter and his his companions had, um, and we'll hear more about that in a minute, was that um, you don't you don't mix with you don't mix with unclean people, common people, Gentiles. So the Gentiles are the unclean animals, um, and the fact that there are three people who come from Cornelius to Peter uh, relates to the three times the sheet was taken lowered and, and raised again um, so uh, the 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 Holy Spirit is is uh, telling Peter in advance that he's going to need to change his view about Gentiles that what God has called clean you must not call profane yeah is there any significance to the fact that Peter is staying with a tanner because I know in a lot of Asian cultures it's a fairly nasty business yeah, it I think it's probably, still is. Leviticus would probably have had something to say about uh, a couple of things that went on in the tanning process. And I wonder if this points to... Well, I don't know about that. Um, I, in, in our day, a tanning process has to, do, has to do with chemicals that could hurt you. Um, but I don't think they had those chemicals. I think they did it the long, slow way of, of skinning the, the flesh off the and hanging it up to dry. I'm not sure that there was any. I'm not sure there was. Yeah, maybe, but I don't know that it would have been unclean. Uh, Peter is Peter is presented here as hyper scrupulous about his diet. I no, Lord. I'm, I'm even. This is God, a voice from heaven saying, "Rise, Peter, kill and eat." He's saying, "Oh God, no! I, I wouldn't do that." He thinks he's being tested, um, and so he's he's going to pass. You know, he's going to pass the test. Um, he's not going to eat anything unclean. So if if that vision, that threefold vision, had not happened. If when three men came from Cornelius inviting him to come, he would have said, "No, I'm Jewish. I'm, I'm, I keep kosher. I'm not coming with you." But instead, he was particularly open to the idea of coming because he just had this very strange vision. Um, um, and two seconds later, these guy, three men show up three times. This vision, he goes, "Oh." <laughs> so, all right, so, all right, and so we go. Oh, because we're we're um, we're seeing that that there's a the ch- a change is coming here. A change has already begun to happen, and the spirit is working at all the angles. The spirit sends comes to Cornelius um, and says, "Send people to Joppa to the house." Tells him where. Um, the spirit comes to Peter and says, "Get ready." Um, People are going to come to you and invite you to go with them. He doesn't say it not like that. It's just a vision that makes him think of. You think you know what is clean and what is not clean. You think you know what is holy and what is profane. Well, you don't. So be open, Peter. Um, and and so he is open and he goes 
And when they ta- start talking to one another, they realize that neither one of them had a had an agenda. This isn't this isn't his agenda. This isn't Cornelius' agenda. This is God's agenda. So they're they're trying they're they're trying to discern. And as and Peter starts, um, Cornelius tells the story of his vision, and Peter begins to speak about what God has done in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit falls on them. They're they're baptized. And you would think that might be, and so they all lived happily ever after, but no, it's more complicated than that. It's always more complicated than that. All right, so we're, uh, other questions or comments, or we move into 11? All right, let's go. Let me ask. Yeah, um, good. The, the centurion, is there significance to that? It seems like every time in the Bible centurions are mentioned, it's in a positive light. And that seems yes. surprising for I think that's right. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. I don't know of any bad centurions in the New Testament. It's yeah, a high rank of ruler. Uh, it's a, it's a, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a, it's position of some prominence. Um, they're in all the Gospels, not just Luke. Right. Um, I think the exception might be. I think it's a centurion who jabs the spear in in the in John's Gospel in the side of Jesus to make sure he's dead. But it might just be one of the soldiers. I'm not sure. I'd have to double check it. Um, but generally, um, there are a couple of stories about a centurion's son, uh, either child or servant, depending on which Gospel you're in, who is healed long distance by Jesus. Um, and then we have this wonderful centurion here. So. So the uh, being in the military service of Rome, of course, meant that you would, uh, I mean, the, the, the goddess Roma would have been uh, in the background of all, all military everything. And uh, you probably, and the emperor, you would have been part of the emperor cult by definition. So he will need to leave some things behind. Um, but um, they're, they're in general, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a position of some responsibility and trustworthiness. So to identify him as a as a centurion means that he's a person of some rank. Could there have been some kind of code to? I, I mean, if any of this writing had fallen into the hands of, you know, Nero's folks. Nah, this is uh, this is way past Nero. Um, anyway, okay. this is about eighty five. Nero suicide was about sixty five. Okay. But it, so there's not it's not a time so of persecution. Okay. Um, I think I, I know it's. Um, um, I would just let go Thanks. of that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So um, this is where Peter gets called on the carpet for doing um, what what. But to all the people who hadn't had the vision and the conversation, and everything that he had had, uh, who were thinking like him before this happened, uh, call him out. So now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, criticized him saying, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step. Here's the gentle gentle explanation to, to somebody who hasn't had the same experience he has, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. In a trance I saw a vision. And here we get his story again. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven being lowered by its four corners and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
But I replied, by no means, Lord. He's explaining it to Jewish Christians who would understand exactly where he was coming from here. Um, I said, I, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. Here's a detail that we didn't have in the earlier story. The Spirit told me to go with them. These six brothers also accompanied me. That's a detail we didn't have either. We didn't know how many there were. So six brothers plus Peter makes seven. You know, numbers in biblical storytelling are important. Seven is the number of completeness, wholeness. So a good number uh, went to this house. Um, uh, and um, where am I? Um, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa, Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. Okay, Another detail we didn't have before, but since that is what happened, Peter is probably conflating what, what happened and what he remembers. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said... Here's a flashback to Luke 3. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, actually, it wasn't the word of the Lord. It was the word of John the Baptist, if you remember the story. John um, doesn't Luke Luke could flip back to volume 1 as check his facts. He doesn't worry about it. The, the reason is, if Luke isn't worried about it, you and I don't need to be worried about it either. It's a slightly different account um, than we had in the beginning of Luke's gospel. So it, the only the biblical inerrantists <laughs> have to worry about it, and I'm sorry for them, but that's not us. <laughs> All right. Um, so um, it's actually the word of John the Baptist saying, I have baptized you with water, but after me someone will come and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And of course in Luke's gospel, that second, second baptism is narrated at Pentecost when Jesus from the right hand of God pours out the Spirit of Pentecost on the believers gathered in Jerusalem. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. He's right. (laughs) And they praised God saying, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Uh, no, they they may they were silenced and they they said okay, but they may we don't hear. A, a, I'm not sure how this line should be said. Should it be said with great enthusiasm or should it be said the way I read it? Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Um, the the emphasis on repentance makes me think that this is cautious acceptance on their part. Um, the, remember that Gentile sinner is all one word, sort of like damn Yankee in some circles is all, all one word. Um, so that, that when, you, when they think Gentiles, they think need to repent. <laughs> okay? So the, the emphasis on re- repentance, God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life makes it say that they weren't exactly singing hallelujahs here. They were silenced 
Peter's explanation got him out of trouble because how can you argue with the Holy Spirit? Um, and they trusted Peter and they knew he wasn't making it up. And so they were, but they had a lot to think about. It does, change doesn't happen like that. People need time to process it. They need to time to, to think about it and think about how could this be true. They haven't had all the experience that Peter and Cornelius, if they'd had the experience themselves, um, they might have been willing to, to change on a dime the way Peter did. Um, it was it was just really um, an amazing, well, coincidence? No, I don't think so. The Spirit's working everything, and, and Peter says, okay, three, vision, three times the vision, three men show up, um, I'm supposed to go with them. Um, so, the, so he knew, and then they got there, and they talked it out, and and uh, it was the, a clear, clear coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, and he recognized it. He's had experience with the Holy Spirit, and um, they knew what to do. So, so these other folks are a step removed from that. All they have is Peter's testimony. That turns out to be enough to get him off the hook, but. Um, they're um, they're still cautiously thinking about it. Okay, now they're going to cautiously think about this through chapter twelve, thirteen, and fourteen while we do other things, and then we're going to come back to chapter fifteen. Where we have the counter movement. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so, unless you're um, unless you're a Jewish Christian, you cannot be saved. Okay. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas Paul and Barnabas have been in Antioch, where Jews and Christians are uh, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians are are living in, uh, together, eating together. Um, not eating the same things, they're doing potluck, but they're they're eating together. Um, so Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. Notice that Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, is considered the is the mother church, and um, that's so that's where they go to sort things out. Uh, today, if they were Roman Catholic, they'd go to Rome. If they were Anglican, they'd go to Canterbury. The Presbyterian, they would go where to? Where's your, where's home? Scotland. Scotland? Where would you go? Where would if you had needed to have a great big powwow? Right, Louisville. Louisville. All right, good. Louisville. All right. Um, the. Um, so they went on up to Jerusalem. Um, they were sent on their way by the church. And as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of, of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. So on their way up to Jerusalem, they're building support <laughs> for what they're doing by telling their story. They're telling the story over and over again uh, in Phoenicia and Samaria when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. They reported that all that all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. Now, we need to remember here, the Pharisees get a bad name in the New Testament because 
um, after 70 when the temple is destroyed they, they remember the um, Sadducees are gone there the priestly families who have kept the temple sacrifices going by collaborating with Rome no temple no Sadducees they're gone the zealots are all died in the Jewish war the people who went in, out in the desert in Qumran were wiped out by the Romans in 68 so really there are only two groups left after the temple is destroyed in 70 the Pharisees the group that would become Pharisees that are eager for the for the law to be kept by all of the people not just by temple priests they were even before the destruction of the temple wanting that um, the Pharisees are like the Protestant reformers a priesthood of all all people um, and so they're they're good guys um, Paul was a Pharisee um, and Jesus was closer to being a Pharisee than to any of the other possibilities in, in that in that time so um, Pharisees are good they're they're here uh, in the New Testament they're often not good because they're the rival group and his all history is told from a point of view um, and we don't have the we don't have a point of view of the Pharisees we don't have documents from the Pharisees until after uh, after 70 um, well after 70 actually and the um, so the the Jewish scholars read our New Testament to learn something about the Pharisees but when they do that they have to read it with uh, a, a grain of salt because mostly it's it's um, Christians, Jews believe it. There are two kinds of Jews after 70. Jews who believe that God's Messiah has come in his name of Je- is Jesus of Nazareth and Jews who do not believe that God's Messiah has come because God's Messiah doesn't die on a cross, thank you very much. And the Messianic age has not come into, 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 into fruition yet. Uh, and both sides had a, had a point of view. It would have been um, difficult to, to choose between them. Um, but we only have one, the writings of one side of the story, and so the Pharisees get scripted as as bad guys in in the New Testament. We could talk about more about that later. It's it's a, it's a detail that I need to comment on, just in the interests of fair play. Um, but it's not central to the story. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been lots of debate, Peter stood up and said. My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Notice his language, cleansing. If they were unclean, God has cleansed their hearts uh, by the Holy Spirit and it's the heart that counts um, the, prophet, the prophets frequently talk not just about circumcision of the body but <coughs> circumcision of the heart um, so that it's the if circumcision is the sign of the covenant the sign of keeping the faith um, what happens in on the body is less important than what happens in the heart um, so circumcision of the heart is a well known phrase from the prophetic writings so Peter is wise to talk about cleansing their hearts, if if the issue is whether they have to be circumcised and uh, do the do, do the dietary laws and keep the Sabbath and everything that that marks out Jewish Christians, um, he's he's um, dealing with the circumcision question just in the way he says it, cleansing their hearts by faith. He has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? bad idea remember Israel in the wilderness right? Okay. by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear 
On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Okay, silence again. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. So again, silence is <coughs> ambiguous. It's they listen, they're listening, they're, they're trying to be open, um, but they're, they're, not, they're not cheering. After they finished speaking, James, and James is the um, head of the church in Jerusalem, he has the authority um, of the community, he has the authority to speak for the gathered community. So what James, whatever James is going to say is going to be really important. After they finished speaking, James replied, and I mean, might stop again and think about how change happens in our communities. Um, you can probably remember a time when the community itself was divided and there was one person or maybe one or two people as the, as the debate happened who spoke and their words either because of the office they had or because of their own personal authority got the group to go one way instead of another way. Does that, can you think of a time like that that you've seen? That's, that's James in this story. Okay. My brothers listen to me. Simeon, using his Hebrew name, Simon Peter, Simeon, Simeon has related, so he's, he hasn't become a Gentile, he's one of us, by the very way that, that James describes Peter, he's saying, um, he's saying he's one of us. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets, as it is written, after this I will return, I will rebuild the dwelling of David which has fallen from its ruins, I will rebuild it and I will set it up so that all other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles. Remember the same, the, in both Greek and Hebrew, Gentiles, nations, same word. Okay, so Then even all the nations, even all the Gentiles, there's two, two groups, Israel and the nations, Israel and everybody else. So Israel and Gentiles. Even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called, thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. Um, it's from Amos, um, and a little bit from Jeremiah, and a little bit from Isaiah. So you've got a conflated text of three prophetic texts um, that, are, that uh, James uses in his speech to uh, talk about how what has happened here has been predicted by the prophets. This is the same move that I was talking about a minute ago. The early Christians believing that the same God who had caused the pro spoken through the prophets and caused the prophetic writings to be written down and to become scripture um, was working um, in, in the events of their own day. So they sh there should be some kind of coherence between what the prophets had said and the events that they were trying to understand. So James assumes this. You can tell that by the way he says it. Therefore I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. So mild, uh, mild cash root and no circumcision requirement. For in every city, for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. 
uh, Moses here being not the man Moses, but the the, the five books of Moses. Right, so, um, then the apostles and the elders, with the consent of the whole church, decided to choose men from among their members and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, where the two groups are are together. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leaders among the brothers, along with the following letter. Here is the Jerusalem Council decree. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, from, this is the, this is the way letters worked in the ancient world, was like our email, from so-and-so to so-and-so, Ray, this, um, greetings. <laughs> so from, um, from the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the believers of Gentile origin in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that certain persons who have gone out from us, though with no instructions from us, have said things to disturb you and have unsettled your minds, we have decided, and we, we actually met some of those a few minutes ago, right? Um, we have decided unanimously to choose representatives and send them to you along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. And here's the key language. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and there should be a therefore here I think and therefore to us to impose on you I'm not saying this is therefore in the Greek I'm just saying that the logic is it seemed good to the Holy Spirit first and and it's not like the Holy Spirit and, uh, and us we and the Holy Spirit have just have thought this through. it's not it's that was to be really arrogant uh, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and therefore it seemed good to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication if you keep yourselves from these you will do well farewell um, no requirement of circumcision so as of this decree this this uh, Jerusalem Council decree um, you do not have to become Jewish in order to become Christian um, this is the, also the point of the letter of Galatians if we were if we were doing a Bible study of Galatians we would see that the same issue is behind uh, Paul's um, Paul's letter there uh, and a very important turning point for the early church um, at the time that this was done Gentiles were a, a distinct minority in the church um, as you know through as as Christian history developed it flipped and more and more Gentile people who had been Gentiles came into the church rather than people who had been Jewish came into the church question comment would you say that this is the start of the Christian religion as opposed to a Jewish sect that that was the flipping point I'm I don't know um, it's a good question um, so I, I want to say that we're st- we're still part of Judaism yes it was in, we have another at another place in Acts we're told that it was in Antioch that the, the believers were first called Christians. Um, so, it, as Luke portrays it, it's a it's a historical. I want to put the word fact in quotation marks that it was a mixed church that became that became called the Christian Church. Um, so that would be a point in arguing for a distinct new name um, and uh, and the start of of being called Christian, Christian Messianic church um, a messianic group um, I'm, I'm wary of the word of the word sect um, I'm not against sex 
<laughs> um, I'm wary of the word sect because um, it has um, uh, the way the way we use it today. It, it, it implies narrow-mindedness and sometimes uh, cult. So I, I try not to use it. But they were they were they were one of many ways of being Jewish uh, in the, under the conditions of Roman Empire before 70. After 70, there were really only two survivors. These, these Messianic Christians and the Pharisees. The Pharisees went on to become the great rabbinic tradition, the Mishnah. Um, and, uh, and this group went on to become what would later be called the Christian tradition. So, so yes, there's, but it's not, it's not a clear dividing point and the, the separation hasn't started in, in, a, in a major way. Um, a few people in John's Gospel have been kicked out of synagogues for proclaiming the, that the Messiah has come. Um, there's tensions. There's tensions about keeping the Sabbath. They show up in the gospel writings. There's tensions about the dietary laws. There's tensions about washing hands after you go out to the marketplace. So some of these practices that are beginning to be boundary markers that divide Jewish Christians from Jewish Christians who are associating with Gentile Christians and and in, because they're Messianic Christians. So. Um, so they're they're still working out the practices. How what does it mean then to be to be a Jewish Christian associating with Gentile Christians? What does it mean to be a Gentile Christian associating with Jews? Um, it's not unlike Brown versus Board of Education in 1954. Um, this these are uh, <coughs> racial and strong social connections um, that are being uh, rethought here. An, an older pattern of separation has has been rethought, and um, and people are rethinking something that used to be obvious, and then suddenly wasn't obvious anymore. <coughs> the thinking had changed. This is also this, these chapters are also have also been critical and crucial in the church's thinking about same sexuality, um, something that was everybody knew was an abomination. Well, now we don't know that anymore. We know less now than we used <coughs> to know, you know, 150 years ago. So let's put it that way. Question over here. Uh, the Washington Post had an article today about the Orthodox Jews and their uh, determination that uh, women could not have a uh, teaching uh, rabbinical uh, responsibility. Mm-hmm. That sort of reminds me of the four points that. Peter has, yeah, uh, and uh, whether the same thing doesn't speak today. Yeah, and uh, a little closer to home, we have um, you know the the joke about the last pope um, um, was this conversation with I should not probably not tell Jenner in her in her uh, but it's I hope it's okay. Um, the the um, no talking about the German pope uh, Benedict. Well, pope Pius um, yeah. Um, that uh, will the, you know? Will, will there be another uh, pope like you? Not while I'm God. You know. Be, will, will, there, will women ever be ordained? Not while I'm pope. Not while I'm pope. Will there be another pope like you? Not while I'm God. Um, the um, so that there's a um, and uh, the Orthodox Christian tradition um, would would not does not recognize uh, women's orders. Um, so we have. Um, within our own ranks, a, a strong division of opinion still on that question. So, um, 
churches, churches, uh, different traditions change at different paces. Catherine, doesn't it yeah. then happen shortly that Jerusalem becomes less important? And I guess Antioch and uh, Alexandria. And Not anytime that. soon. No? Um, at some point, and now you're testing, I've just, uh, fortunately for me, um, Tim taught a course on patristic theology. There was sometime around 150 or 200 an ordering of Christian sees, and it still holds today about, um, and Jerusalem is still considered one of the, I mean, they're going to be last in the procession of the Orthodox churches. Um, so there, you know, the, then there's the question about where Rome fits in there. Um, that's a whole other question, but yeah. It's time, isn't it? So it seems to me, Catherine was telling me just a little bit about what she's going to be up to, and I, I was wondering if you would just share a little bit about your sabbatical and a little bit about your trips that are upcoming with the group. Right. I'll take a few minutes. Just a few minutes to do that. I'm working on my Spanish. Um, it's another, there's another area of welcoming a group that has not, that is growing rapidly in our country and um, is... Uh, um, e- eager to come to churches, but that we don't have enough clergy who can, in a, in a, at least in our denomination, um, who can lead services and, and preach in Spanish. I can lead services in Spanish now. I've been working. I've gotten that far, but I can't yet preach in Spanish, and I can't make conversation at the door. And if somebody wants to tell me something important in a low voice, I, I probably wouldn't get it. Um, so um, I'm going to spend three weeks in South America. One of my bucket, one of the things on my bucket list has been to get to South America. I've never been a week by the same school. I'll be doing intensive Spanish, living with a family, so I can't cheat. So um, I'll be in um, Buenos Aires for a week, and then Cusco, Peru, for a week, and then uh, Santiago, uh, Chile, for a week. And then come home and get the lecture from my cat, but that's all right. <laughs> 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 and, uh, yeah, no, she doesn't speak better. She doesn't speak anything except meow. But she'll be quite. She'll get her point across anyway. <laughs> um, and um, and then I'm on sabbatical next spring. Um, so I'm I'm hoping to to join you again in in the fall or maybe very very late next spring. We'll see how that goes. It seems to me in closing this this year of navigating the seas of change that one of the things that has surfaced at least for me listening to all these speakers is you know when we take the time to really listen to another and to hear another story like you were talking about today That's and really how we change. not always jumping in and wanting to sort of you know emphasize our journey and our story um, but to have that balance between listening and is really uh, what happens in, in it's the opportunity during reformations and we really are in a reformation both mm-hmm. by the church and in, as a country and as a nation so right semper reformanda the church is always to be reformed yeah uh, Catherine since we don't know how long it will be before you will be back uh, are any of your sermons online so that we might have a little Refresher sometime between now and the time you're back. Well, you're very kind. <laughs> um, I've um, I I don't I don't have a website. I don't think I'm likely to. Um, I should never say never, but it's not not really my style. Um, but if you want some sermons, I can send you some sermons. Mm-hmm. Yes, we could put a couple on our adult ed website if, if Catherine great. was willing to do that. Okay. And on behalf of Westminster, we just thank you thank so you. much for being here again, and we really appreciate your wisdom and what you bring uh, in the interpretation of a very complicated story. Mm-hmm. And with that, thank you very much. Well, thank you for.